One of the uh, foundational lessons that are taught to kids early in their education is the relationship between cause and effect. And it's a foundational learning element because it's a foundational part of our lives. We can uh, look around into many different places and see this um, in fairly simple ways. For example, when you put water over heat, it begins to boil and it produces steam. There's cause and effect. Uh, When you take that water and you put it in cold temperatures, that water freezes and it turns into ice, cause and effect. When you take that ice cube, though, and you place it on a hot sidewalk on a hot summer day, that ice cube melts and it becomes water again, cause and effect. We see the relationship of cause and effect around us in so many different ways. And if you were to look hard enough within your life, you would probably see this uh, in your own life in different ways as well. I want to suggest to you this morning that when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, God brought about the greatest cause and effect relationship ever. The cause is that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and the effect is that our lives have been changed both now and forevermore because He is alive. Cause and effect. And so today we come to what is unarguably the most significant passage in the entire storyline of the Bible, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To quote the angel at the tomb, he is not here, he has risen, he is alive. Listen, Jesus Christ is not absent, he is present. Jesus Christ is not powerless, he is powerful. Jesus Christ is not defeated, he is victorious. Jesus Christ is not dead, he is alive. And because he is alive, you and I have new life as well through faith in him. It's the relationship of cause and effect. He is alive and we have life as well. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, the resurrection and great commission of Jesus Christ. There is no other organization who can claim this. There is no other religion who can proclaim this. Jesus Christ is alive. And that's what we're looking at this morning. I love the way that C.S. Lewis described Uh, Christianity many years ago. I think I've shared this quote with you before, and it's a popular quote that you might be familiar with. C.S. Lewis said this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. I love that. That sums up so well the impact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on all of our lives today. Just like the light of the sun makes it possible for us to see everything else around us, so the light of the risen Jesus Christ makes it possible for us to see everything else around us in the way that it truly is. And so here's the idea that we see coming from Matthew 28 this morning. Here it is. If I believe that all of life is to be lived in the presence of the risen Jesus, then I must believe that all of life is to be lived for the risen Jesus. Cause and effect. If I believe that all of life is to be lived in the presence of the risen Jesus, then I must believe that all of life is to be lived for the risen Jesus. In other words, there needs to be a noticeable difference in the way that I live my life if I truly believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And it's not just parts of my life. It's not just little pockets of your life that need to be different. No, our entire lives need to show a noticeable difference in the way that we live. It's not just the big things. It's not just the way that we respond to crises or to 
broken relationships or to disappointments within our lives. It's the little things that we go through as well. It's how we deal with the day-to-day stuff of our lives. It's how we approach the small things that nobody else sees and that few other people actually know about. It's really about coming to a place where we acknowledge that we have to see our lives differently. That because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, We have to see our lives differently because Jesus is alive and he is living his life through us. And so can I encourage us this morning as we come to this passage in Matthew 28 to pay very careful attention to what God is saying to us this morning because we're coming to a familiar passage and and quite frankly, we are a church that spends a lot of time singing to this risen Jesus. We are a church that spends a lot of time talking about this risen Jesus. We're a church that spends a lot of time talking to this risen Jesus. And it can be so easy for us right now to come to another message about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and think to ourselves, oh, it's another message about the resurrection. And and I know about the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection. We believe in the resurrection. Is there really anything else that I can learn from another message about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And can I just remind you that we will never have enough opportunity and never enough time in our lives to plumb the full depths of what has been done for us in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet God has given us another glorious opportunity right here this morning with our Bibles open to Matthew chapter 28. And so let me say this again. If I believe that all of life is to be lived in the presence of the risen Jesus, then I must believe that all of my life is to be lived for the risen Jesus. More specifically, I think what we see here in Matthew 28 is four things about my life, four things that must be true about my life. You can see each of them in this passage right here in Matthew 28. But before we get to that, let's pray again. So risen Lord Jesus, we come to you again this morning by the power of your spirit within us and we call out to you and pray that you would meet with us now with your living word open in front of us. Oh Lord, I pray Would you speak to us now? Would you be our teacher in this moment? Would you help us to see the things that are true about you, that are true about us, that are true about this church, that are true about this world in which we live, that are true because you have risen from the dead. You have defeated sin and death. You have given us life both now and forevermore, and we praise you for that. We thank you so much for your finished work for us on the cross and in your victorious resurrection. And so we come before you now and pray that you would lead us through this passage. Help us to see what we need to see. Help us to learn what we need to know. Lord, I pray that, that as we go through this passage, that we would see these things not just on an individual level, but that we would see and know and understand and learn again this morning of the reality of what you have called us to as a church, that our mission, our Our goal in in our existence is found here in this passage and that we would embrace this and that we would see the urgency of this, not simply as a church, but Lord, I pray in this moment too that you would use this time in your word now by the power of your Holy Spirit to raise up people who are in this room right now who will go to the farthest parts of the globe with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will stand up and say, Lord, here I am, send me. Lord, here I am, use me to go to the nations and proclaim the goodness and the love of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, you can do that. We pray that you would. Pray that you would have your way among us this morning as your word is proclaimed. Lord, lead us and help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, four things about my life that need to be true because Jesus is risen from the dead. Matthew 28, let's start with this. Number one, in the presence of the risen Jesus, I must believe that my enemies are defeated. Got to be an amen somewhere. Amen, right? I must believe that my enemies are defeated. What a great place to start. You could sum up these first few verses in Matthew 28 with one simple word, and the word is power. In the presence of the risen Jesus, my life is lived, your life is lived with supernatural power. Notice this, first of all, Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake. Now, commentators have suggested that this earthquake was because of the impact of the stone being rolled away from the front of the grave of Jesus, but again, it just points to the reality that we see the power of God at work in this particular circumstance right here from the very beginning. Then notice this, verse 2. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. Again, another supernatural sign of God's presence in this circumstance. And then again in verse 2. And he came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Like, I love that. I love that Matthew includes that detail, that this supernatural angelic figure just comes and apparently with very little effort whatsoever manages to push away this 4,000-pound boulder at the front of the grave, and then he just sits down on top of it, and he's like, la-di-da, look at that. Look at what I just did. And I, I wonder, I wonder, though, if he sits on top of that stone as a sign for everyone who would come to the tomb and see what happened and make us think, hey, you know what? This is a new day. Like, this is a new start. There is power at work here because what you're seeing in front of you is a clear sign of the power of God to completely overcome death. But there's more. Verse 3, the appearance of the angel was like lightning, an indication of his strength and might in what he has just done. Again, we see the power of God. It goes on in verse 3, and his clothing white as snow, sign of his purity that he has come directly from the presence of God to do the will of God. And then verse 4, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now, just keep in mind that these guards that are standing out in front of the tomb of Jesus, these are the very best of the best of the best that the Roman army had. And uh, Rome considered Jesus to be their enemy because Jesus was a threat to their power and the control that they had. And so they wanted to make sure that none of Jesus' followers would come along after he had died on the cross and was buried and steal his body and then make up the story that he had risen from the dead like he said that he would. And now these battle-seasoned guards are quaking with fear and they drop to the ground paralyzed and unconscious because of what they are seeing in front of them. All of this in these first few verses pointing us to the power of God. So see what's happening here. The enemy Roman army is defeated by the power of God. The enemy of circumstances that appear hopelessly over are defeated by the power of God. And ultimately, the enemy of death is defeated by the power of God of God because Jesus is risen. And can I remind you this morning that the power that has risen Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in you and me today. And it is that power that helps us overcome the enemies that we face. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. He says this, it's up on the screen for you as well. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. 
We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, we need to understand that the wars that we wage are not against flesh and blood enemies. That the wars that we wage are not against people who don't like us. They're not against people who are trying to defeat us. But instead, these are spiritual battles specially designed by the enemy to fill our minds with wrong thoughts, to fill our hearts with wrong feelings, and to drive destructive wedges into the most important relationships of our lives. And the Bible says that the way that we defeat those enemies within our life is by picking up these weapons that have divine power to defeat those things. And all of that is possible because of the risen Jesus Christ within us. And so we ask ourselves, what are these weapons that we need to be picking up in the midst of these circumstances? Well, prayer and the Word of God. How many times do we keep saying this, right? Prayer in the word, prayer in the word, prayer in the word, over and over and over again, prayer in the word. The weapons that we pick up, worship, faith, the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And the Bible says that when we pick up these divine weapons and we begin using them, that the Spirit of God then uses that to begin to fill our minds with his thoughts and to fill our hearts with his feelings and to give us eyes to see the things around us in the way that he wants us to see them. And all of this is possible, loved ones, because of the power of the risen Jesus Christ within us. Thing is, you and I have to pick up these weapons in order to use them, right? We have to pick up these weapons and use them and put them to use. So let me give you like a three-point diagnostic checkup, right? Three-point diagnostic checkup before you roll out of the showroom here in the next few minutes. All right, so three of the most common enemies that all of us face in our lives. We did a survey of absolutely no people at all, and these were the most common answers that we got. Okay, so three common enemies that we face within our lives, and whether or not we're picking up these weapons, these divine weapons that we have been given in Jesus Christ, because, listen, if all of my life is to be lived in the presence of the risen Jesus, then all of my life must be lived for the risen Jesus. So let's start with this, enemy number one, fear. And here's the question to ask, is my fear bigger than my faith? Or is my faith bigger than my fear? Is there something within your life that God is leading you to do, but you're not moving in that direction because you've been paralyzed by the fear of what will happen if you do, or you're paralyzed by the fear of what will not happen if you do? Like, you don't know how it's going to go. You don't know what people are going to say or what they're going to think. You don't know what the consequences might be with other people if you take this step of faith in God. Like, what is it in your life right now that is holding you back from taking the step of obedience to God that you need to take? Uh, I preached just a few weeks ago on baptism, and, and um, I understand that this is a, a drum that I keep beating, but it's a, a drum that needs to be keep beaten. <laughs> Not really sure how to finish that sentence, but anyway, I speak for a living. So, um, so anyway, we need to keep talking about this is what I'm trying to say. So there's some of you, I know there's some people in our church who are still trying to process this whole idea of, do I get baptized? Like, do I get baptized right now? Like, I've got this concern in my life and I've got this fear that I'm trying to overcome within my life. Like, do I get, what do, what's going to happen? What's going to happen with my family? What are my friends going to say? Like, what do I do? Do I have to do this? And 
and you're trying to process this call of God on your life to be baptized and follow him in the waters of baptism. And let me just ask you, what is it that's really holding you back? What's holding you back from taking that step of obedience to him? We've said this here before, but I'll say it again because it's important for us to remember. Faith is not just believing in light of evidence. It's obeying in spite of consequence. Faith is not just believing in spite of evidence. It's obeying in spite of consequence. The thing is, you and I are not going to obey in spite of consequence until you pick up the divine weapon of faith that you have been given in the risen Jesus Christ. And and isn't it true that if we were left to ourselves in our flesh, we would never overcome our fear, right? We We would very rarely, if ever at all, walk in faith. We would be constantly paralyzed by fear, which is why it's so important for us, loved ones, to look to Jesus. It's so important for us to look to the one who went to the cross, who obeyed perfectly the will of his heavenly father despite the consequences to him, which ended up being him giving his life on the cross in our place. We need to look to Jesus in order to overcome the fear within our life. So is my fear bigger than my faith? Or is my faith bigger than my fear? Here's enemy number two that many of us commonly face, uh, control. Am I holding things with a closed fist that I should be holding with an open hand? Uh, There are some things that we hold with closed fists within our life, and we should, like the truth of God's word, for example, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is absolute truth. And, and as believers in Jesus Christ, we want to hold this with a closed fist. But there are so many things within our lives that we should be holding with open hands. Because the reality is that everything that we have within our life is given to us by God. Like we do not own anything. We have simply been called by God to be wise stewards and managers of everything that God has given us. So what is it within your life that you're holding with a closed fist that you should be holding with an open hand? Is it your time, your hobbies, your future, your finances, your kids, your family? Like, like what is it? Maybe let me ask it like this. Do you always have to be in charge? And Do you always have to be the one who leads the way and gets your way? Because that may be evidence that you've got things in your life that you are holding with really tightly closed fists when you could be holding those things with open hands before God. Enemy number three, purpose or lack of purpose. Am I willing to believe that Jesus alone gives my life meaning? So I was thinking about this week, I thought a lot about um, stay-at-home moms. Uh, you have one of the most difficult, yet one of the most rewarding responsibilities of any of us in the room. And God bless all of you that pour into your children and into your families for the sake of Jesus Christ. But I gotta think that there are times for you where you're just not sure if you're gonna make it through another day of the routine. Right? Like, here it is again, and we're going to do it again, and then the next day we're going to do it again, and then the next day we'll do it again, and we've already been doing it for a few years, and then tomorrow we're going to do it again, and, and you're getting to the point where you're like, man, if I have to do this one more time, it's just going to be the end of me right here. Like, and, and the reality is you don't have to be a stay-at-home mom to know what that feels like, right? We all have routine within our lives that we go through. Some of it is good routine that helps us, but others of it, it just feels like the monotony over and over and over again to the point where it leads us to the place where we wonder, is what I'm doing here really making a difference? 
Like, is there purpose in what I'm doing? Is there meaning in what I'm trying to contribute to this situation? But then, in those moments of monotony, in those moments of routine, to think and to remember and to believe that Jesus Christ will equip you for that to which Jesus Christ has called you. He will equip you for that to which he has called you. He is with you as the source of your joy and your hope and your peace, and he is with you all of the time. And so the bottom line in all of this is that in the presence of the risen Jesus, I must believe that all of my enemies are defeated. Here's point number two. In the presence of the risen Jesus, I must believe that my perspective is changed. So these guards, Matthew 28, they have fallen to the ground. They've become like dead men. And then verse five says, but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. In the presence of the risen Jesus, my perspective is changed. I want you to see this right right at the beginning here. That all of life must be viewed through the perspective of the empty tomb. So all of our life must be viewed through the perspective of the empty tomb. You're like, what do you mean? Well, notice three things that come out of these next few verses. First of all, come and see my past is forgiven. My past is forgiven. So verse 1 tells us that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were going to the tomb. And the other Gospels tell us that there were other women who were going to the tomb with them on that morning. But just see how powerful this moment is here right now. Mary Magdalene, in the shame of her past, she's the one who had seven demons cast out of her. And the invitation for her in this moment from this angel of God is to come and see. Come and see the empty tomb. Come and see what God has done and what he's done for you. Think about the other women who were standing there at the tomb as well, all from different places, different backgrounds, different struggles, different stories, and the invitation for them as well is to come and see. Come and see what God has done, that Jesus is risen from the dead. And the amazing power of the gospel is that this is still the invitation that exists for all of us today. For every single person today, to the agnostic, to the atheist, to the Buddhist, to the Muslim, to the Sikh, to the sinner, to the saint, to the skeptic, to the seeker, to the doubter, and to the disbeliever. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what your past has been. It doesn't even matter how far gone you feel your past has been. That the call of the gospel is for every single person and it is the same. Come and see what God has done. Come and see that Jesus is alive. Come and see the place where, like just think about what the angel is saying here in this moment. Come and see the place where he lay. Like come and see that this is real. Come and see that this has happened, that this is not fake news, that death has been defeated and your sins can be forgiven and eternal life can be yours because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Like this is the good news that Jesus came to proclaim, that our relationship with God begins not by coming and doing, it begins by coming and seeing. And that makes all the difference, doesn't it? Like our relationship with God doesn't begin by come and do this and do that and do the other thing and check the box and show up here and and once you do enough things, then you can be saved. No way. That is not the gospel that we believe in. That is not the gospel that we preach. The gospel that Jesus came to proclaim and that he gave us to proclaim is come and see what has already been done for you. Believe in Jesus because listen, when you come and you truly see 
That will then propel you to go and do. Come and see what Jesus Christ has done for you. So in the presence of the risen Jesus, my perspective is changed. First, by come and see, my past is forgiven. But then this, go and tell, my future is redeemed. My future is redeemed. Notice the transition here. Verse 6, the angel says, come and see where he was. But then it's almost like he says, don't stay there. Like, come and see the empty tomb. Come and see that he has risen from the dead, but, but don't stay there. Notice what he says next in verse 7. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Like, they have the greatest news ever. And we understand, right, that Jesus didn't need help getting out of the tomb. We get that, right? It's not like the whole reason that the angel showed up at the tomb and he's like, hey, Jesus, you in there? It's like, yeah, get me out of here. Like, no. Like, that's not what happened at all. Like, Jesus didn't need help getting out of the tomb. Like, remember who he is and what he has done up to this point. Gospels tell us over and over, he's cast out demons, he's healed the sick, given sight to the blind, it's made the lame to walk, it's calmed a storm, it's driven a legion of demons into a herd of pigs that jumped off the side of a cliff, feeds large amounts of people with small amounts of food twice, walks on water, turns water into, I mean, he's done all of these. He doesn't need help getting out of the tomb. The reason that the stone was rolled away was not to let Jesus out. It was to let us in. It was to let us in and see that this has happened, to see that this is real, to see that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, to see this greatest miracle in all of human history, and now to be used by God to take this greatest news in all of human history and tell others how it has changed us and how it can change them too. In fact, that's exactly what Mary did. Luke 24 tells us that when the angel told this to her and gave her the instructions to go and tell everybody else, she left the tomb and she went and found everybody else and nobody believed her. Anybody else have any experience like that? Right? Like, like you go to your friends, you go to your family and say, listen, I've got this news about Jesus and he's changed my life because he loves me so much and I'm totally convinced that he can do the same for you. And they just look back at you like you have three heads and a tail. And it's like, what's going on here? Like our Christmas Eve service is coming up in a few weeks. There's a lot of people in our lives, a lot of people around us who right now, because they don't know Jesus Christ for whatever reason, they are more open to coming to church at Christmas than they are at any other time of the year. And so I wonder who among us is going to be bold enough and who among us in the spirit of God is going to be bold enough and loving enough to go to these people and say to them, listen, I've got this news that has changed my life. And I'd love to tell you about it. And it's rooted in God's love for me. And it's rooted in God's love for you. And I would love for you to come to church with me on Christmas Eve and hear more about how much God loves you, that he gave his only son to come into the world and live a perfect life and die a perfect death and rise again. And he's made the promise that he's gonna come again for those who belong to him. Like, just love for you to come and hear that message. Who among us by the power of God's spirit is gonna go and extend that invitation? Listen, as believers in Jesus Christ, all of our life is to be viewed through the perspective of the empty tomb. And just think about this for a minute, that Jesus has risen from the dead. 
He has overcome sin and death in his resurrection. And because that is true, surely he can help me get through the things that I'm going through today. All of life viewed through the perspective of the empty tomb where my past is forgiven, my future is redeemed, but then notice this too, fall in worship, my present has purpose. My present has purpose. Verse nine, and behold, Jesus met them. Don't miss that. Verse eight says that they're overcome with fear and great joy. Now verse nine says, behold, Jesus met them. Pretty awesome, isn't it? Jesus meets us in our fear, meets us in our worry, meets you in your anxiety, even meets us in our routines. If we're willing to seek after Jesus in those moments, he will be found by us. Verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. Yeah, I... You know, I, I've always been perplexed by that verse. Like, why? In the intensity of that moment. Like, just think about what these disciples are going through right now. Like, their whole life has been turned upside down, right? Like, everything is not the way that it should be. Nothing is clear right now. Everything feels like chaos in the moment. Like, like the one that they had pinned all of their hope in has died. And, and now, for the first time, they're looking face-to-face at this risen Jesus. And why, in the intensity of that moment, does Jesus, with such formality, look back to them and say, Greetings. Until I learned this week that that word greetings means rejoice. So yeah, think about this. So there's the disciples all gathered around and, and their, their life is chaos. It's all over the place. Like they are fearing for their life. Nothing is as it should be and they're wondering what they need to do next and they're afraid and all of a sudden this risen Jesus is standing before them and the first thing that he says to them in the midst of their fear is rejoice. Rejoice! Why? Because all of the peace and the hope and the joy that you thought got lost in the swirl of your circumstance has now been found because Jesus is here and he is alive. So rejoice. Doesn't matter what your circumstance is. Doesn't matter how far gone it feels. Rejoice because Jesus is with you in that moment. He goes on, verse 9. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So notice this. There's there's a lot of justifiable fear that's happening right here. Again, verse 8 says that they left the tomb with fear and great joy. Fear that the tomb was empty. Fear that the angel was overwhelming. Fear that the future was uncertain. Fear that in that moment their lives had been unalterably changed by the risen Jesus. Fear that at any moment they could die because of their allegiance to the risen Jesus. Like so much fear, so much worry so much anxiety in their life right now. And just think for a minute, what is it that pushes us into those moments of fear and anxiety in our lives? Like, isn't it true that it's the thought that things are happening in our life faster than our ability to maintain our grip? 
Like it feels like things are going so fast, so chaotic that we just can't hold on. We can't maintain our grip. And so it leads us to start thinking, well, I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to go here and I got to go there and I got to talk to him and I got to talk to her and I got to do all of these things. And before we even know it, we feel like we're in the cloud of war. Like everything is fuzzy. Everything is hazy. We don't see things the way that we need to see them and we've lost sight of what actually matters. And isn't it an amazing reality, a beautiful truth that into that mess, Jesus comes to these women and says to them, do not be afraid. What's the first thing that these women do in their fear when they encounter the risen Jesus? They worship him. Loved ones, the answer to fear in your life is to worship your Savior. You could say it this way. The way to fight fear is with fear. The way to fight the fear of your circumstance is to embrace the fear of the Lord. To be in his presence in prayer. To be in his presence in his word. In verse 9, to take hold of his feet and worship him. The purpose of your existence is not simply to stumble from one episode of fear to the next and to the next and to the next and, and just hope that at some point in between there's going to be some good times. And yet, isn't that sometimes how we kind of approach our life? It's like just one thing to the next and to the next and to the next and it gets so busy that we lose track and, and we're just hoping for something nice in between. The purpose of your life is to glorify God with every part of your life. And the only way that we can do that is to see all of our life through the perspective of the empty tomb. So when that fear rises up again, we come back to the presence of Jesus. When that worry rises up again, we come back to the presence of Jesus. When that anxiety rises up again, we come back to the presence of Jesus. When that depression rises up again, we come back to the presence of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is patient with us. Like, look at this, verse 10. Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. You remember earlier, God has already told them that same message through the angel. But now, Jesus himself comes and he is standing there with them, and he sees that they're still afraid. And he patiently says to them, just like he patiently says to you and me every time we get afraid, he says, do not be afraid. Why? Because in the presence of the risen Jesus, I must believe that my perspective has to change. Because he is with me, he is alive, and he will always be with me which is, uh, I pray, will help us to understand and embrace the third point, number three. In the presence of the risen Jesus, I must believe that my battles will be fierce. I must believe that my battles will be fierce. This is what happens when unbelievers are confronted with the risen Jesus. Notice verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So the chief priests and the elders, they're the people in charge. They were Sadducees, which basically means that they did not believe in resurrections of any kind. 
And so their man-made theology right now is forcing them to deny something supernatural that has happened that they simply cannot explain. Furthermore, the guards who were standing outside of the tomb, they're desperate right now because they messed up. And all they have is a humiliating explanation to try and cover what they actually did. That they saw this angel and it scared them so much that they fell over like dead men and then they don't remember anything after that. By the time they woke up, everybody's gone and that's their story. And they can be executed now because of this. And so they make up this story that is not only a lie, but it's a lie that maligns the character of those who are following Jesus. And when we look at these few verses here in Matthew 28, I think it helps us understand a little bit the nature and the reality of the battles that we face. Like, think about this for a minute. You can see this right in their experience here. The first reality of the battles we face that we see here from God's word, we cannot make unbelievers believe. Like, we just can't. That's the nature of the battle that we face. We cannot make unbelievers believe that even in spite of the evidence that is so clearly in front of them, from a risen Savior to an empty tomb to a life changed, we cannot convince people. I was just reading in my own quiet time this week in John chapter 6. And Jesus says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Just think about that. It is the Spirit of God who gives life. Your flesh, my flesh, anybody's flesh is no help at all. The Spirit of God has to breathe new life into dead people. We tell them of the risen Savior. We show them evidence of the empty tomb. We live a life changed for them to see. But the saving work is the Spirit's work. We cannot make unbelievers believe. That's the first reality of the battles we face. Here's the second that you see from this passage as well. We will be hated by the world that we're trying to reach. We'll be hated by the world that we're trying to reach. And Jesus made this abundantly clear. John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus is saying, because of our allegiance with him, we are going to be hated by the world. But just a little while later in John's gospel, Jesus says this in chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Like that's the nature of the battles that we face. We cannot make unbelievers believe And we are going to be hated by the world that we're trying to reach. The question is, what do we do when the battle gets fierce? Like, where do we go? How do we handle this? Notice this. Verse 10, Jesus told them to go tell the disciples to meet him in Galilee. Then we get to the start of verse 11, and it says, while they were going. So this is where all the lies and the scheming and the character assaults are coming together while they were going. And, and though the disciples may not have known all of this yet, verse 16 goes on and says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now do you see what's happening in verse 16? They are still doing what Jesus told them to do back in verse 10. The key, loved ones, the key to staying strong when the battle is fierce is to keep doing what Jesus has given us to do. The key to staying strong when the battle is fierce is to keep doing what Jesus has given us to do. Just this week, 
I heard uh, two stories of pastors that are friends of mine. They pastor churches that are not far from here and in different ways, they are like right in the thick of this. Um, One of them is a friend who pastors a church not far from here. He preaches the gospel faithfully every weekend and his church has garnered some significant media attention this week because of a decision that they made with one of their members and the decision that they made goes very much, very definitively against the cultural tides. And so now they're taking some heat because of that. The other is um, a closer friend who also pastors not far from here and in different ways he is experiencing how hostile the battlefield really is. It's kind of made me reflect this week on the times when I felt like I've been in the thick of the battle. And you don't have to be a pastor to be in the thick of the battle. You know what it's like. My battles are not your battles. Your battles are not my battles. But the reality is we're all in this battle together. And, and I've, I've just been reflecting this week on the times when it feels like I'm caught right in the thick of it and I don't know what to do and thinking how many times it would have been just so much easier to pack it up and walk away and go and do something else. And then, in that moment when it feels hard and I don't know what to do, just praying and, and realizing by God's grace, that is exactly what the enemy would want. And then, realizing by God's very same grace, that is exactly what the enemy will never get. When the battle gets fierce, the answer is not found in us giving up. When the battle is fierce, the answer is not found in stopping what we're doing. When the battle gets fierce, the answer is not found in us dropping what we're doing and looking for something different to do. When the battle gets fierce, the answer is found on us keeping our eyes fixed on who Jesus is and what Jesus has given us to do. That's what leads them, verse 17, to fall before Jesus and worship him and even to bring their doubts to him in the midst of that battle. Like, can you just imagine these disciples gathering around Jesus at this point and and they're bringing all of this to him and it's like, Lord, there is so much going on right now that it's just so confusing. There's so much going on right now that I just don't understand. Lord, there's so much going on right now and I just don't know what to believe. Like all these people gathering around and, and loved ones, there will be times where our commitment to Jesus Christ, whether it's for you individually or even for us corporately together as a church, There will be times where our commitment to Jesus Christ takes us to that kind of battlefield where where we're wondering those very same things like, Lord, it's confusing. Lord, it's overwhelming. Lord, I don't know what to think right now. I don't know what to do right now. And loved ones, can I remind you that when the battle gets fierce, we have to keep our focus fixed on Jesus and what he has given us to do. Like if I believe that all of life is to be lived in the presence of the risen Jesus, then I must believe that all of my life is to be lived for the risen Jesus. Which leads us then to one final instruction, number four. In the presence of the risen Jesus, I must believe that my urgency is needed. I must believe that my urgency is needed. Look at these final verses in Matthew 28 that mean so much to us here in this church. Verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is why we're here. This is what Jesus has given us to do. This is what we must never take our eyes off of. Notice this, for 27 chapters, Matthew has told us who Jesus is and all that Jesus has done. And now in chapter 28, he lets Jesus himself tell us how we must respond. And that's the way that Jesus has always meant for it to be. Our worship is the full response of who we are to the full revelation of who Jesus is. Our worship is the full response of who we are to the full revelation of who Jesus is. And that's what Jesus is calling for here, the full surrender of our lives to his mission. So see this here. Here's the reason why we can go. Here's the reason why we can make disciples of all the nations and and we can go and baptize and teach. This is why we can have such confidence in doing that. First of all, because of the power of Jesus over us. Verse 18, look at it again. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Meaning not only having the power, but having the power to use the power in the right way. All authority, he says, in heaven and on earth. Meaning everything. Everything in all of heaven and in all of earth has been given to the authority of Jesus. Two words come to my mind right now. Wow, We, that is amazing, like everything given to Jesus, meaning nothing in the entire universe has been left out of the realm of his power and authority. And that power has been given to him by God the Father. That means that Jesus Christ has power over creation. He has power to sustain his creation. He has authority over all other human authorities. He has authority over nature, over his church, over sin, over Satan, and over death itself. And he has authority over your life and over mine. And that should give us great confidence. The power of Jesus over us. Here's why we can go. Here's why we can make disciples by going and baptizing and teaching. Not just the power of Jesus over us, but second, the plan of Jesus for us. He's given us the plan already. We don't need anything else. Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, the way that sentence is structured in the original language, of course, the main command here is to make disciples of all nations. So a disciple is a student, a follower, someone who learns from someone else who's farther along down the road than they are. And that word nations is not just nations of people, but it's people groups of nations. And so our call is to call people here at home and around the world, wherever it is that God takes us, to an absolute commitment in their life to give all of their life to Jesus Christ. Just think for a minute now about the difference that that makes in knowing that Jesus Christ has all the authority in heaven and on earth and that we go because he sent us. That means then that we can go and we can call people away from following false gods. We can call people away from their allegiance to dead religions and we can baptize and we can be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to be identified with the saving work of Father, Son, and Spirit within our lives and then enter into this community of faith and we can teach others to observe all that Jesus has commanded us by way of growing up in our discipleship in him. Listen, loved ones, we go and we baptize and we teach at the command of and in the confidence of the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. So we need to see the urgency of this. 
that this is what Jesus Christ has given us to do. This is his command to us. This is our mission as a church. This is why we are here. Go, baptize, teach. Why? To make disciples of all the nations. We need to see the urgency that we have the power of Jesus over us and the plan of Jesus for us. And then finally this, we have the presence of Jesus with us. The end of verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Behold. Like, see this. Don't miss this. See the urgency of this. See, see the power of this. That Jesus Christ is with you always. Always. Doesn't matter where you go. Doesn't matter what you do. He is with you always to the very end of the age. He will be with you and that will never change. The Bible is very clear about four things. The gospel alone is the power for salvation. Number two, without the gospel, no one is saved. Number three, the nation's must hear the gospel. And number four, Jesus has commanded us to make disciples of all the nations. And so on some level, we all go. Wherever God takes us, we take the gospel with us. You take it to your family, you take it to your neighborhood, you take it to your workplace, you take the gospel with you wherever it is that God takes you. But on another level, not all of us will go overseas. Not all of us will go to the unreached people groups in the farthest places of the earth who at this very moment have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ, let alone responded to him. Not all of us will go there, but some of us will. And some of us have, and some of us will go again. But for those of us who are not led by God to go to those places, our responsibility is to send those who are led by God to go to those places. And we send them by affirming them in their call. We send them by praying for them as they go. We send them by making sure they have all the resources that they need, be it financial or Bibles or whatever it is that they need in order to go and take the gospel to those places according to the means that God has given us to do that. One pastor put it like this. He said, every Christian has three options. Go, send, or disobey. It may never be said that we fall into that final category. And yes, an unbelieving world around us will look at us like we are absolutely crazy, but that is to be expected because if I believe that all of life is lived in the presence of the risen Jesus, then I must believe that all of my life is to be lived for the risen Jesus. Jesus.